three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. This is Nuclear Knowledge. Production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another exciting episode of Nuclear Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. The views of the host are his own. I'm your host, Jim Petrosky, and today's show is about the nuclear deterrence workforce. Just like in part one, I am going to focus on just the U.S. nuclear deterrent. However, my goal is to get you to begin thinking about the workforce needs for deterrence overall and become aware of the many, many skills that are important to its success. Maybe you'll consider entering a career in support of nuclear deterrence or become encouraged to get others involved. To review in part one of this podcast, I define the nuclear deterrent as including the means for developing, maintaining, and controlling the country's nuclear weapons, which is primarily in the weapons laboratories and the industrial and contract organizations that support them. It also includes the means to employ nuclear weapons, which primarily are the triad and the many, many important government and military organizations that that run that triad uh, component. And it also includes all that is necessary to ensure that an employment decision is, in fact, needed, which is included uh, in the nuclear command and control system. Today, I will only touch on the weapons themselves. A point I made in part one was that the workforce is not just nuclear engineers and physicists. It includes many other people, including highly skilled members in construction, materials development, logistics, safety, security, planning, and management. It's truly a very broad effort. However, in today's show, I wish to address the science and engineering workforce associated with the nuclear weapon development and sustainment. Now, before you say, what, science and engineering? Oh, I'll stop listening now. Consider, if you do not do science and engineering, but you're working with the nuclear deterrent, you will likely work with scientists and engineers or may hire scientists and engineers, and you need to understand the various disciplines involved. After all, it's time for us as a nation to break down those barriers between various technical and non-technical communities, work together, and just get the job of deterrence accomplished. This is the only way we'll become effective in a topic as important as the nuclear deterrent. And additionally, we scientists sometimes need someone to interpret those pop culture jokes you talk about in the lunchroom and on Zoom calls. And we feel so left out. So help us out. Well, let's begin. Unlike last week, I'm going to address this topic of scientists and engineers as related to the weapons themselves, as there's not enough time to discuss the workforce any broader. Again, I'll just scratch the surface. And as you listen to this podcast, I hope that you'll think beyond the disciplines I mention here. 
So what makes the nuclear weapons distinct from conventional weapons is the enormous scientific and industrial overhead needed to develop and maintain a weapons program. And if you don't know about that, listen to episode six of Nuclear Knowledge. Most people think that this means that unless one is a degreed physicist, then there's no place in a nuclear deterrence for their scientific skills or interest. And this is simply not true. For example, for nuclear fuel production, episode six, isotopic separation falls to chemical engineers who understand how atoms can be separated and falls to material scientists to develop new materials and devise new methods to separate the raw materials into something useful and they can do it in the most efficient manner. And how's this done? Well, depending on the process, may require electrical engineers and solid state engineers who develop high energy lasers that break down atoms and separate them based upon their mass or mechanical engineers who design materials that can withstand incredible G-forces on large separation cylinders that, that spin at unbelievable speeds without losing their balance. This takes a lot of skill and a lot of design and a lot of understanding. And these are just two examples where we require scientists beyond physicists. Not that physicists aren't important. I truly love them all. It's just that it's much larger than physicists. Also, in the modern development of every weapon is a superb team of computer scientists and mathematicians of every variety. Although computer analyses were very important in the pre-1992 the detonation testing days in the Cold War, um, we are more reliant today than ever before on mimicking, predicting the outcomes of the nuclear environments without nuclear weapon testing. Interestingly, we know so much more because we've forced ourselves to understand the processes in great detail. To do this, we, and I mean we, the whole world, are continually evolving the computational methods to assess every aspect of a nuclear detonation so that we can understand how to make the nuclear weapons safer and more reliable. To take advantage of modern computational methods, new computers are being developed in support of the weapons programs. The national labs and the DOD use some of the most powerful computers in the world to understand the details of the nuclear detonation and how the fuels and the surrounding material respond in ways that cannot easily be produced in anything other than a nuclear explosion on Earth or a computer simulation. And therefore, computer scientists and computer engineers and computer designers are all part of that process. Now, systems response, both for a nuclear detonation and for the function of the computer systems, is often an overlooked area of science that plays a major role in the nuclear deterrent. And there are many areas in which systems engineers are required to develop, evaluate, and improve the system function and design. You can't throw a cat anywhere around a nuclear weapons laboratory without hitting a systems engineer. They're everywhere. And I'm not certain why a cat is in the lab in the first place. Lastly, not that it's the last item, but we're just simply out of time. Data analysts and data scientists are part of nearly every step of the nuclear weapon development and analysis. Aside from establishing the right methods for data storage and recall, analysts provide detailed statistical evaluation 
of the results of measurements, computational input, and functional output for every process. Those with a cybersecurity degree are needed to ensure the data remain locked down and out of reach of adversaries who might use the information against us. Before I end, I wish to give some advice to anyone considering entering the science and engineering effort in support of the nuclear deterrent. Are you ready for it? Number one, do it. We need you. The U.S. workforce is short of skilled workers who meet the requirements of the profession and meeting the security requirements mentioned in part one of this podcast. Number two, a career in this area is never, ever boring. It's always needed and very rewarding from both a job satisfaction standpoint and a financial one as well. And three, for those who might think science and engineering is just too hard, think again and again and again. Few of us scientists found that we understood many subjects the first time around. I often find that people undersell their abilities in science. As Thomas Edison said, the three great essentials to achieve anything worthwhile are first, hard work, second, stick itiveness and third, common sense. Most of you might find that you have a lot of that and can contribute in the science and engineering field. Well, thank you for listening to today's Nuclear Knowledge Show. I hope you learned something new and valuable about deterrence. Nuclear Knowledge is a production of NIDS, a 501c3 organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast. Every donation helps keep this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength in our national deterrent. This podcast is produced weekly, and each episode is released on Monday. If you enjoy this show, check out our other podcast, The Nuclear View. You can catch it and all our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com. I thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear knowledge. Bye-bye. A production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies.